Welcome, friends, to episode 289 of the Juice Box Podcast. On today's show, Fiona Wild will tell us all about her professional paddleboarding and surfing life and her really weird graduation day diagnosis. This episode of the Juice Box Podcast is sponsored by Companion Medical, makers of the InPen. To learn more about the InPen, go to companionmedical.com. When you get to companionmedical.com, you're going to learn all about the InPen. It's America's only FDA cleared smart insulin pen plus an app system. It's going to help your CGM talk to your insulin pen, talk to a wonderful app on your phone that's going to tell you about things like insulin on board, the temperature of your insulin, and a lot more. You'll hear more about it in the show. But if you're on MDI or you're thinking of moving to MDI, I think you want the InPen. Companionmedical.com. I'd be lying if I told you I knew a lot about competitive paddleboarding and surfing, but Fiona Wild does, and I talked to her about it, along with her type 1 diabetes diagnosis and how she manages her type 1 while she's doing this sort of, um, well, not sort of, but this really intensive activity. Always in the water, too, you know, so kind of seems like it doesn't match up, but Fiona really makes it work. Please remember that nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise, and to always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. My name is Fiona Wild. I am 22 years old. I live in a really cool place called Hood River, Oregon, and I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes when I was 18 on my high school graduation day. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was a very exciting morning and a very terrifying afternoon. But um, yeah, you know, sometimes those things just kind of come together like that, I guess. Well, I don't know about that. I. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way I try to look at it anyway. On my graduation day, I was just like, oh, I see my dad's not going to come. That's sad. Oh, yeah, well, they were divorced, and I didn't think he was going to come. But then I kind of thought he was going to, and then I didn't, and then I gave up on it. But the good news for me is that I did not have an incurable disease when that was over, uh, like like happened to you. So <laughs> I, I want to hear about this for a second. Um, so you're only 22, and you're, di you're diagnosed for, about four years ago? Like, actually, yeah, probably, four and a half. Yeah, I was going to say a little more, right? So prior to your high school graduation day, was there any indication that something was amiss with your health? Yeah, for about the six weeks leading up to um, that, I did online high school the last three years because I was already competing and traveling um, and needed to find a way where I could get my education while still you know, traveling to all these different strange places all over the world. Um, so I found an online program that worked for me. So my version of a high school graduation day isn't necessarily like everybody else's because pretty much for me, it was like, okay, completed all the coursework that, you know, was entitled and 
getting a high school diploma and then it was like, you know, I'm done kind of thing. And, you know, my parents are awesome. They wanted to make like, you know, a little deal out of it because I would worked hard to get there. So I just remember like running downstairs to my mom. I was like, guess what? Guess what? Like I finished. I don't have any more work I can do. Like, you know, I guess this means that I, um, I'm done. And she was like, wow, you know, super excited, really happy for me. You know, I've been feeling off the last few weeks. I had gotten my first contract and signed my first contract the following or the previous fall. So when I was 17, I yeah, I got my first contract from Starboard Stand-Up Paddleboarding, which they're pretty much the largest company that creates wind and water sports equipment mm-hmm. um, in the world. So for me, it was huge. And um, then, you know, my mom was really pushing me to go to college, but I wanted to try and do this and just see where I could take it and whatnot. And kind of when I signed a contract, um, it was only a year-long contract, but at the same time, it was going to allow me to financially support myself through a year of competition. So I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. So, you know, I had obviously had to finish um, my senior year and then I was going to have a year to dedicate it to the sport. So I had a couple races. I had a race in April um, and I was like out in front doing amazing. This is like my first big race kind of, you know, to show myself that, you know, deserving of the sponsorship and wanting to push it. And I was in second, like all of the race. It was a 13 mile race. And on mile 12, I went from second to sixth. I just hit a wall, something happened. And I was like, what, you know, I was so frustrated because I had it, you know, I had the podium, um, doing super good and we couldn't figure it out. And so I was like, all right, well, you know, that really sucks, but okay, I need to train. I need to, you know, figure out more things. And so I came back. Um, actually, no, I didn't come back home. I did two more races. I did a race the following weekend and the following weekend after that. And each weekend I was just feeling worse and worse. And I was like, what is going on with this? Like, you know, okay, instead of training, like in between the races, I'm going to rest now and see if that makes it better. And, um, yeah, that, that went on for about six weeks and then it was my high school graduation day. Oh my God. Fiona, you've said, I have so many questions. There's not enough time to talk to you now. Okay. So I, I need everybody, you slow down, take a big deep breath. Okay. And, and okay. Uh, let me pick through what just happened. Okay, because, sorry. No, no, no. Because none of what you said was my expectation. Right. Okay. So, so, okay. When did you start? Okay. I don't even know how to ask this question. So you are a competitive paddleboarder. Is that what you would call yourself? If, if yeah. I, Okay. I compete professionally in stand-up paddling. Um, I used to compete professionally in windsurfing as well, but now I pretty much focus on stand-up paddling. But I don't just compete in one aspect. I compete in stand-up paddle surfing and stand-up paddle racing. So there's two different world tours um, for that, and I compete on both sides. Okay. And so I'm kind of one of the only few that competes on both sides. You're like an actor who's in a Marvel and a DC movie. I see what you're saying. Okay. Yeah. So, and, and I've done a little bit of my homework to try to figure this out, right? So what is happening here? There's a phone that's not supposed to ring. It's ringing. Here's how I want to begin. Most people listening who think about sports with younger kids are imagining like travel soccer or travel baseball or softball or something like that. But mm-hmm. obviously... You know, unlike most of us who can travel to a field, you need a body of water or a or a surf, I would imagine. So, yeah, exactly. what, how how old were you when you started doing this, and how did it begin? So it all started with windsurfing for me. Uh, my parents were windsurfers, and I grew up windsurfing um, with them. 
And in Hood River, we have amazing conditions here where we can go windsurfing. And surprisingly, I don't actually live on the ocean. Um, I live about three hours inland. Okay. The cool thing is that I live on the Columbia River, which is about a mile wide in some places. And, you know, it's the headlands are up in the headwaters are up in Canada. And then they flow down you know, through Idaho and then through the Oregon-Washington border where the river enters the Pacific Ocean. Is this river where you do most of your practice? Yes. Yeah, so this river is where I do pretty much everything um, from windsurfing, sauna paddling. The only thing you can't do here is you can't surf. Okay. So for that, I have to get a bit creative and just drive or fly or, um, yeah, go some other places okay. for some training. Okay. Okay. Everybody. I, was just, I, yeah. I feel very overwhelmed by all the new things I'm learning. So I, I need to <laughs> slow sorry. down. No, no, you don't need to be sorry. This is me. I'm not prepared. Um, but no, no, but, but no. to answer your question. Mm-hmm. So I started with windsurfing and, um, I started competing in windsurfing when I was like 11 I did the local races here in town, and then um, when I was about 13, I got um, some experience in the waves, and I was like, whoa, this is so cool. I did a trip with my dad, and I was just like, this is absolutely amazing. Like, I want to, you know, learn how to windsurf wave sail more, and so at the time, there was kind of this revamp of the windsurfing tour. It was called the American Windsurfing Tour, and it went all up and down, or all North America, and then eventually ended up going into South America as well. And so then I pretty much started doing that from when I was like 13 until when I was about um, 19. And that experience of, you know, learning a new sport in a competitive environment um, got me into, I don't know, it just got me into all sorts of situations that uh, I've had experience from that have taken me, you know, to where I am today. Like I went to, got to go to different countries. Um, I got to travel with friends. Um, you know, when I, I think I did my first trip without my parents when I was 14. What necessitates you going on a, a, a competitive trip without your parents? Is it just they're working or, and actually, before I ask you that, so yeah. would you kind of relate what you're saying to me to somebody out there who's listening who's like, oh, my kid played like Little League Baseball, and then they got really good at it, so they started traveling to play it, and, uh-huh. and then they, you know, somebody was interested, so they ended up going to college and playing it. Is that like, it, so there's no college for windsurfing, I assume, there's, I mean, or maybe no. there is, well, it, well, and why not, by the way, but okay. There are some college, yeah, um, for windsurfing, not for stand-up paddling. Really? Okay. Yeah. So, so yes, in a, in a way it is, it would be similar to that. You know, you kind of start at the beginning, you have a couple of results, um, you kind of want to push yourself a little bit further and see kind of what that next challenge is, you know? And then I quickly got into the part where like, okay, I'm competing for, you know, the title of the tour. Um, and so that is what made me travel more because then it's like each event you get certain points. And honestly, like my parents have been awesome. They're never like, it's not about the result. It's about having fun and learning things. And kind of with that mindset and that they've taught me since I was so little, it's been easy for me to just go and be like, okay, like even if you completely bomb something, you're still going to be able to learn something from it. And actually you're probably going to learn more than just from winning it. So, um, you know, the first few years, like I didn't really win, um, you know, I won some events, but not consistently or this and that, whatever. But the cool thing about the whole windsurf tour is, well, it's wind related and there would be many mornings because 
places, typically the wind picks up in the afternoon where we would have waves, um, but we wouldn't have wind. And a few of the people there had stand-up paddle boards, and that is one, that's the side that I got introduced to stand-up paddle surfing, um, was through this windsurf tour. Yeah, you made, you made your own wind with the paddle. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right, right, like right. when there wasn't the wind for windsurfing, I still wanted to go in the waves because I live, you know, three hours from any kind of surf. So it was like, okay, this is my chance to take advantage of it. Gotcha. All right. Okay. That all makes sense. I'm doing well. I really feel like I'm starting to catch up now. It, it's funny. I don't know if you heard me. I talked to Kate Hall a few weeks ago and, and she's, you know, trying to, you know, to jump in the Olympics. And it's funny because like she started talking about like some of the steps she had to take. And I was like, oh, this is where this sport sort of ends up differing from other sports. And when you say there's a tour for like windsurfing, for instance, it's not, mm-hmm. it's not you and six other windsurfing kids who are all like always at the same thing. There's a lot of people at these events, right? Like how, like how big are the yeah. events? Yeah. Um, well, that's also a good point too. Uh, it, there weren't really that many other kids. I was kind of one of the only kids within the windsurfing side there, you know, there may be like, you know, three of four of us kids or something like that. And then there's, you know, over 200 people in an event. Um, so that was also cool. It made me grow up kind of quick. Um, you know, being the only one there, like my best friends were 10, 12 years older than me. Right. And the same thing with stand up paddling. Uh, most of the women that I am competing against in the races at the elite races, I think the girl who is closest in age is six years older than me mm-hmm. um, on the international stage. So I'm definitely one of the youngest racers at the moment, um, which, you know, is changing, which is good because we're having some more girls coming up. But within the stand-up paddle events, it's pretty awesome because the stand-up paddle events, we can get like 500 people to a race on a weekend. The elite field might only have like, you know, 50, but with the open competitors, then you have, you know, mass quantity, which is spectacular. What do you, what are you competing for? Like when I say that, I mean, like I realize, <laughs> like when, when my, I've used my son as an example, right? Like, so when he was really young, he just was playing, like you said baseball to get better right and then you play in high school and you're trying to get better and then but at that point now you're trying to prove to somebody that they should take you on a collegiate team like you're trying to prove yourself like and then while you're playing in college you're hoping that you continue to grow and maybe somebody will draft you like that's the the pathway what you're when you're competing are you competing for a trophy are you competing to turn to those people and be like hey haha i won or like 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 what's the next step is it personal fulfillment or is there something beyond that that you're shooting for for me it's definitely you know pushing myself um in a comfort zone but then also outside a comfort zone and to see kind of how far my skills and fitness will be able to take me as well as controlling my diabetes along the way but the reality is there's three tours that i end up competing in the year the app world tour for surfing the APP World Tour for Racing, and the European Championship Tour. Okay. The start of my year basically starts in Europe this spring. Um, I ended up racing in five, six different races in Europe, mm-hmm. and that is pretty much the best of the European stand-up paddle racers in the world, plus many international riders. So gotcha. there's people like myself from the United States that come over, from Brazil, from Canada, from Australia. Pretty much everybody, the sport focuses on the racing in Europe during the spring. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was about six weeks of racing and touring, and I ended up winning that this year. So it was uh, pretty exciting. Yeah. So yeah, to win the Euro tour, 
you have to have five really good results um, in order to go towards your final tally. Mm-hmm. And I won five races. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, for it was quite a quite an exciting thing, something I didn't really think that I could win, but I was able to do that. And then well, on the other side with the surfing, um, the APP World Tour, you're competing for a world title. Gotcha. So um, within surfing and racing, they're two separate competitions. But I won the racing world title in 2016. Um, and I have not won a surfing world title. I've been second a few years, but I haven't won it yet. So basically it's, it's, it's sort of broken up into two areas. Like it's your competition and just trying to be good and test yourself. And then the other side of it is, I'm assuming if you're having good results, you'll start getting sponsored by companies. Those companies will pay you to use their boards or something like that. And then that's how you can kind of finance your ability to continue. I see. Going back to kind of what I was saying at the beginning, um, the year before I graduated, as I graduated in 2015, so fall of 2014, mm-hmm. I got sponsored by Starboard, gotcha. um, which is that big company. So they pretty much were like, okay, you're young, you're getting really good results. We want to support you to paddle our boards, to go all over the world, to continue to get good results and promote a good image for our brand. Right. Because when because when Fiona comes cruising across the finish line on a starboard, people there are a lot of people there and you stand up and hold the board and they're like, hey, starboard, that makes sense. Yeah, and, yeah. Okay. They get on the podium, they get all the accolades, everything like that. It helps them and it helps me as well. You're the you're the paddling equivalent of like a YouTuber or like or, <laughs> or, or a guy who plays video games and makes a living at it where we all like go... Did you hear about the guy who makes a million dollars a year to play uh, a video game? And, and, okay, you know. don't quite make a million dollars a year. No, 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 no. I didn't mean to. So I didn't I mean a, to say so that. I get a lot of questions like, "Oh, that's cool. I didn't even know you could compete in those things." <laughs> well, it's a very, it's a it's a very uniquely American economy story. It, it you know it really is. It's, you yeah. know, you're, you're 14 it's years old. Now, when when it was first happening when you were younger, was it just sort of like you you know you would imagine like hey my dad played soccer in high school so I play soccer was it just my parents windsurf and so we windsurf together and then there was a place for me to do it competitively so I went and did it. Yes, yeah. um, that was for the windsurfing side, but mm-hmm. not for the stand-up paddling side because right. stand-up paddling is a relatively new sport. You know, okay. it's been around no more than since the wind stopped blowing. <laughs> <laughs> it's been around like fifteen years or so, and. I got into it with um, one of the local shops here in town. They wanted to create a kids team, and so I was one of four original um, kids. And that was nine years ago, and that was how I got introduced to stand-up pedal racing. Um, and that program is still going on. Uh, my dad then learned how to stand-up pedal after I was doing it because I was having so much fun, right. and he wanted to do it with me. Um and the cool thing is about that kids program is it's still going on. And this last summer, I got to coach the whole program, so that was pretty cool. A returning star to coach the team. <laughs> it was well, fun. It was uh, fun. Absolutely, I it's it's crazy in my mind. I imagine like a bunch of windsurfers standing around on a day when the wind doesn't blow, and one of them going, "Well, do we go home or what do we do?" And somebody's like, "If we had a paddle," and, and then <laughs> they were just like, "Oh my god, a paddle." <laughs> <laughs> this is genius. Like, I try to, so now, I, I, I have to tell you that I hope you understand that most people listening, when you're describing either surfing on a, a much bigger, because it's a bigger board, right? When you, it is, right, yeah. or you're paddle boarding. Like, I, if you told me right now, Scott, go out into the river, 
the one feeding from Canada, and stand <laughs> stand up on a paddleboard and stay standing on it for let's say ten seconds, and I'll buy you a house. I would not have a house when the day was over, right? Like I would just be like, I can't, I can't accomplish that. It's well, not- I would be nice. I mean, maybe if I had to buy you a house, I'd put you on like the most narrow board I could find. I'm, yeah, right, but right, because you're trying to keep. If I was the like, house. okay, let's go out, you know, for an ice cream or whatever, I'd be like, excellent. I'll put you on the biggest board. You know, you start. It's just like anything when you're learning to ride a bike, you have a different kind of bike than mm-hmm. you know a professional cyclist. You're telling me if I had the right tools, I could stand up on a paddleboard. Absolutely. That's the cool thing about it. Anybody can do it. You know, you can, all you have to do is you you just get a bigger board. Um, so I race on a board that's 14 feet long, 21 and a half inches wide, and you most likely wouldn't be able to stand on that. But if you were to go paddling for your first time, I would give you a board that, you know, is maybe 12 and a half feet long and 30 inches wide. I thought you were going to say 12 and a half feet wide because that's how, like, <laughs> Scott, we're going to throw a, a picnic table out on the, and you'll be, now be honest with me. I, I'm uh, 48 years old. How far would I paddle before I had a stroke or an aneurysm? A couple feet, a <laughs> couple minutes. How far do you think I'd make it? Surprise yourself. You can go as far as you want to go. Um, that's the cool thing is that, you know, it, it doesn't really matter. Um, you don't, you know, okay. If you were to, you know, jump off a start line and try and go sprinting, you'd probably be out of breath kind of soon. But you can jump on a board. You can go with your friends, your family. If you have a dog, you can put your dog on the board, go cruising around. Like, there's all sorts of different things you can do. It's like it's like a bicycle. You know, you have your people who go out and ride 100 miles, you know, in the weekend, and that's what they do for fun. And then you have some people who have cruiser bikes or even e-bikes that, you know, put a picnic basket on the front and go, you know, cruising around. Paddling is the same in that sense. Like you can, you know, have top of line race equipment go, you know, for speed, for distance, for whatever, or you can just grab more of a cruisy board and go have fun, go exploring, um, maybe, you know, paddle into a different place that you've never seen before. Or, you know, it's cool to paddle out and look back at what you're looking at every day See, and just get a different perspective. No no, 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 no. See, you're saying this is where people like you who are super athletic don't understand that other people don't have brains like yours. You're saying I would paddle out to get a different perspective, which does sound neat, except I would paddle out and then have a panic attack that there's no way I could make <laughs> it back again. And then I would start imagining what giant Canadian fisher in the river that will eat my body when I sink to the bottom. Like that's, that's how it would occur to me. Wouldn't it be great if, if Fiona's uh, entire career was killed today as she can't get over the anxiety of thinking about whether or not a salmon could eat her. And she just like, she's like, I no, never I... thought of it before. I can't go back in the water. <laughs> No, I'm okay with it. You'll be all right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I'll be all right with that. So, so, so first of all, it's amazing. And you said something a while ago already that I jotted down and I don't make a lot of notes when I do this, but did you say that there was a paddleboard race that was 13 miles? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So when, when they say go, first of all, my, I have questions. Does everyone finish who starts? Um, pretty much in the elite field. Yeah. Okay. In the open field, there might be a couple that pull out, but um, 
it's just, it'd be more like a marathon in that sense. Gotcha. You know, it, it takes a while. Um, some people, some people, you know, don't, uh, maybe some people just get tired or fatigued and then, yeah, you have to pull out for the, but for the most part, um, and especially within the elite field, pretty much everybody finishes. How, how long does it take to go? Like, like the person who wins, how long does it take them to go 13 miles? With that particular race, see, that's the other thing with water. It all depends on the conditions. If you have 13 miles with wind at your back and you're going what we call downwind, mm-hmm. um, which you can kind of surf little bumps that the wind is generating the whole time, um, you're going to go a lot faster than if you have a headwind or yeah. completely flat water. So it depends. But in that specific race, that was in North Carolina around Wrightsville Beach. And that was about a two and a half hour race. Okay. So I'm going to tell you that I'm not hundred percent certain I could stand on the board for two and a half hours. Like take all the rest <laughs> that of it. That race requires a lot of training. I'm not kidding. Like yeah. how, so aren't, your, aren't your legs like super tired? <laughs> your legs are exhausted. Yeah. Most people think that all paddling comes from, you know, your arms and your shoulders and all that, but there's so much balancing involved and your legs are your bigger muscles. So you might as well use them more. So See, by the end of it, my legs are shot. Yeah. And you're not strapped into the board, right? Like you're free balanced on on the board. So when you when you drive with that paddle into the water, you really are anchored by just the grip of your feet on that board. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, see. I'm starting to really think about this now and as bad of an idea as I thought of this at the beginning, I'm thinking it's an even worse idea now that I'm really thinking it through. But Oh, come on. The, no, no, because at least <laughs> if you were anchored to it, you you know what I mean? Like you you didn't have like a a fulcrum point that was like fixed and now you're, but you're basically like digging in like while you're doing that. So do you lean forward while you're paddling or do you stand straight up? How does that, how does your body lean forward? You lean forward and you have a lot of bend in your knees. So you can have that drive and kind of what you're thinking about would be more similar to like paddling a canoe or, um, rowing in the sense because then you would have a fulcrum you know coming from your hips because you're seated but because we're standing up you really do have to use your legs and it actually is beneficial to be able to move your feet around the board okay so you can kind of reposition so you can stability and i'm imagining drive from different angles for steering purposes and things like that. yeah exactly See? yeah look at me you got it. Intellectually, I understand. Your board is getting narrower. Now we can give you like a 28-inch wide board. You're out of your mind. I saw Jaws when I was uh, five. I'm not getting in any water on a board. Okay. So, and I know there's no shark in that river, and I don't care. There are not. It's freshwater. <laughs> I, it doesn't, listen, if someone would have taken you to Jaws in the 70s when you were five years old, by the way, my parents, a huge mistake. I you would you would have the same concern I have right now. You'd be like, no, but that mechanical shark will eat me. So, <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, I'm seriously. There's people my age right now who got drugged into that movie. You're like, yeah, damn right, man. There's no reason to go into the water. Um, okay, so 13, 13 miles over two and a half hours, and. Do you know for that specific race, the person who finished dead last, how long it took them? Do you have any idea? Probably took them about three and a half, four hours. Another hour and a half from, oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you want to quit, someone comes, gets you, just raise your hand and start crying. What happens? What do you do? (laughs) There are are support boats that are, you know, all up and down the course and jet skis and all that. Um, So that's, that's good. That's important. Safety is huge, you know, being out in the water. Right. yeah, so there's all sorts of different watercraft that are kind of patrolling the area. So, you know, the best thing to do in any situation on the water if you're in trouble is to sit down on your board and stay with your equipment. 
Um, so you have something to float on and then you can wave your hands over your head. I I have a good friend who lives on the water in North Carolina and she paddle. I think she paddleboards oh, cool. pretty much constantly. Um, and I know if she heard this, she'd be like, you could do it. And I'm like, no, no, I don't think I can. But, um, okay. So now our races are that long. Um, we compete in all sorts of different types of things. There's different races like surf races where you go in and out of the surf. There are distance races, which are pretty much anywhere from like nine to 13 miles. Mm -hmm. Um, there are flat water, bumpy ocean, pretty much everything. There's some races that are more like, um, 4k races. And then there's even races that are like 200 meters. So right now I'm training actually for a 200 meter race, a 4k race, and an 18k race. What's training look like? How do you train? So for me, um, I'm actually really lucky right now to have three weeks at home. This doesn't happen very often. Mm -hmm. Um, so I've basically broken down the three weeks I have into different training days, Mm. um, for a specific goal. So if there's something I'm going to China for the ICF world championships at the end of this month. Mm -hmm. And so the first day I will be competing in 200 meter sprints. The second day I'll be competing in a, like a 4k technical race. And the third day I'll be competing in an 18 kilometer distance race. Oh my God. So when I take a look at that, I look at, okay, what are my strong suits and what are my weak suits? And the weaknesses are what I focus on in the training leading up to it. So I've broken down each week into basically six out of the seven days. I'm on the water doing different drills and intervals and workouts, um, that are building up on certain weaknesses. And then I have Monday, which is today, Mm -hmm. which is my like complete off day. So today I will be on the water. I won't go run or anything like that. Um, and it's been fun. It's been fun too. Cause it's, it's hard. <laughs> it's hard to focus on something that you're not really that great at, or, you know, even if I'm decent at it, it's definitely, you know, I'm not as strong as my strong suit. Right. Um, so, and, and I'm learning a lot. That's the thing that's crazy. It's like, okay, even if I'm, you know, leading the tour at the moment or in the top three or whatever, like, you know, some people would be like, Oh, well you got it. And it's like, no, you can constantly be learning new things. That's fascinating. I, I, is there any dry land training? Like, is there anything you do in a gym that's specific for this, or is it really yeah, need to so be on I the have, water? Um, I mean, you have to be on the water. That's pretty much where it comes from. Because like, you can do all sorts of different fitness um, to get your base up, but it's also so much technique involved mm-hmm. um, that you really have to spend the time on the water to focus on that. But um, I'm going to spend I, last week two days and then this week two days and the following week two days as well in the gym. Um, and that's going over a lot of like plyometric stuff, um, agility, balance, uh, trying to get fast twitch muscles going faster. Um, and I normally could walk out of those days super sore. <laughs> but um, yeah, beyond that, I liked, I love running. So any chance I get to go for a run, I go for a run or bike ride or it's just such a beautiful place that I live that if I can be outdoors, I want to be outdoors. I hear. I, that's, I mean, listen, I'm not, I'm not judging you. I know that, um, oh, she just got disconnected. Do you think she just ran outside? Whoa. You were like, I am I would so love, sorry about no, that. No, no, you're like, I, I, if I can be outdoors, I'd love to be outdoors. Then it hung up and I thought, she just probably went outside. <laughs> <laughs> my computer just turned black <laughs> so sorry about that no 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 no. it's it's you know it's it's absolutely fine don't don't think anything of it i um okay so 
I think I understand. I mean, listen, I understand academically all that what you've explained to me. And even though I'm still in my mind thinking, am I going to ask her about like doing this in the ocean? Like, do you just paddle out and then ride in like you're surfing, but you have a paddle with you? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. So what's the difference between surfing and paddle boarding in the ocean? When I go and I compete in surfing, um, you know, the big difference is when you're traditional surfing, um, you are, you know, laying down on your stomach, you don't have a paddle in your hands and you're prone paddling. So you're on your belly before you pop up. Um, my board looks a lot like a surfboard and most people would say that is not a stand up paddle board because it's really small. Um, so my stand up paddle surfboard is very small because it just has to be thick enough, just has to have enough volume so I can stand on it without falling over. Um, so then I basically, I'm paddling in already standing up when I catch waves. Mm -hmm. Um, but like, for example, most people, you know, would shortboard on like a five, eight or a five, 10 or something like that. My stand up paddle board is a seven Oh. And when I stand on it, um, it pretty much sinks underwater. (laughs) Oh, no kidding. I would like you to do something for me. If you ever can teach yourself to do it while you're surfing, I'd like you to reach up with one hand and spin the paddle with one hand over your head, like a baton. (laughs) You would be surprised. I swear, Um. if you can do that, I, now I understand why you have sponsors because (laughs) can you get to that? Do you think, or, or do you think it's not? I think I might have done that a few times. No kidding. See, (laughs) that's excellent. And that, that I would just be like, that girl wins. And they'd be like, no, she's actually in fourth place. I'd be like, no, it doesn't matter. Look what she's doing with the paddle. No, that's gotta be worth There's style points. That's right? hilarious. Yeah. There are no style yeah. points in this. Okay. Well, I mean, it's, I think it's more about the surfing at that point, I hear but we actually have some inside jokes with some of the competitors where it's a, uh, a lot of people think that, Oh, just pushing the paddle around is what gets you points where in reality you have to surf. So it's kind of funny that you mentioned that. <laughs> You've been involved in water sports so long that you went to high school online and you came out and now what's your lifespan like in this? And it sounds like with the people you're competing with, you could do this for a really long time. Is that how you think about it? Absolutely. Yeah. So I did online high school and then I got sponsored and my mom was like, no, you have to go to college. Like, you know, and then I got a sponsorship that came with a contract and she was like, okay, like one year, you know, let's see where it goes. So that was the year that I got diagnosed with diabetes. Uh-huh. And then I was like, Oh great. Here's my first year being a professional athlete. Somebody, I, something I really wanted to do and be since I was, you know, super small. And, uh, this <laughs> that on diabetes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand it from a parenting perspective, right? Like the idea of like, Hey, I really need you to go to college. So I want you to get a job mm-hmm. and I'm not going to, I'm not going to be alive forever. And I need you to know, I need to know you're going to be able to take care of yourself when I'm old and gone. Like I, I think yeah. about that with my kids too. Now, th- now, though, you have a little success. I imagine you must have walked into the house with the first contract, held it up over your head and said, oh, who has to go to college? Not me, because <laughs> I'm making money. Well, like, did you run around like, was it like a rap video? It wasn't so no? much like, no, it wasn't so <laughs> much like that. It was more of like, look, I got this chance to do it. I will go to college. But for right now, let me just try and focus on this. I, I can't argue with it. I can't argue with it all. I don't. Listen, very few people get drafted to play professional baseball and I don't imagine my son will be one of them. But if it happened, but if <laughs> that it happened, if it happened, I would not know how to stop him. Like I would yeah, not I so wouldn't was, know, you know. It would be something slightly similar to that. Um so then I was like, okay, great. Now I have type 1 diabetes and a professional contract. 
but I kind of wanted to keep racing and type one just came at the wrong time. I don't think there ever is a right time for it. Um, but it was like, okay, I'm just going to keep doing this. I'm going to figure out some systems on how to, you know, get sugar with me out in the water and, you know, learn all the feelings. You know, it took a little bit, but, um, that year I basically finished the season and the next year I won the racing world title. So then it was kind of like, okay, <laughs> this is going well. I can do this, right? So let me pick, yeah. let me pick through that a little bit. So when you're first diagnosed, um, I'm assuming you leave the hospital with like, like pens or syringes and insulin and a meter, right? That's about it. Surprisingly, because um, I didn't really think that anything was, you know, that wrong. I knew I wasn't feeling great, but. Um, Basically, I just went into my family care doctor and, I, you know, I had explained that, you know, I hadn't, you know, I had dry mouth. I've been losing some weight, you know, I had a infection and this and that, whatever. And he looked at me and he's like, has anybody ever tested your blood sugar? I was like, no, <laughs> what, what is that? You know? Yeah. Um, and I was like, you know, thinking, okay, all sorts of tests, you know, what's involved. And he just pulled out a meter and he said, let me prick your finger. I was like, no, thank you. okay and then he pricked my finger and the number that popped up on the screen was 586 and i was all happy because i just graduated high school that morning so i'm like great what's that out of like a thousand yeah and he goes no um you know i'm really sorry but you pretty much have type 1 diabetes and i was like you know tears and i didn't know what that meant and you know i i had no idea what diabetes let alone type one was um but i live in a small town and he pretty much said go home because i just went to the doctor's office on my own he was like go home talk with your parents and he gave me his personal cell phone number and was like have them give me a call and i can talk and you know help you guys out if you need anything so then that night it pretty much i didn't get any insulin didn't do anything i actually never went to the hospital um because i was 18 so i wasn't an adolescent i guess um anymore it's kind of strange but um yeah so then i went and the next day got connected with a diabetes educator and she went through absolutely everything you know explained how insulin works what diabetes is and she was spectacular and she's the one you know who showed me how to prick my finger and how to you know calculate carbs and give myself insulin for that and that's when it all started but the problem was that i was supposed to go to europe to race for the first time um 5 days later <laughs> and i was like Oh my goodness, you know, like when I first got diagnosed, it was, I was bummed because I was like, okay, like obviously I'm not going to go. Like, this is not my priority right now. My priority is my health. But then after getting insulin started and like, you know, immediately coming out of the 500s, which is good, um, <laughs> into yeah. range, uh, we went and spoke with my doctor. And, um, you know, I was sitting there with my parents and I was like, okay, so. Here's the thing, like I was supposed to go to England to race. Um, my dad was already planning on coming with me. But, you know, if it's going to be any problem for my health, like, you know, please tell me and I absolutely will not go. You know, that's right. I don't want to put myself in any harm. And he looked at me and he goes, that is not a decision for me to make. I, it's not going to hurt you. So I think you can make that decision as a family. And I was like, OK, dad, we're going to England. Wow. <laughs> and then we got on a plane two days later. And what did you have with you? Just needles and like a meter and some yeah. Insulin? So I had um, when I went on that first trip, I had uh, Lantus, 
Mm-hmm. I had Humalog quick pens, and I had a box full of needles, a box full of test strips. I had a sharps container. I had an extra meter, um, and I had a lot of gummy bears and <laughs> <laughs> um, all sorts of. I found these goo chomps that I could bring with me on the water, and my mom sent us on the plane with like the biggest cooler full of food and snacks and everything it was it was amazing i'm surprised they even let it on as carry-on it was so big but she was like you're not going anywhere without food probably probably thought you were like trying to start a grocery store in europe yeah, uh, yeah. probably <laughs> well that's so, so now looking back was that incredibly brave or incredibly stupid like would when you look at it now do you think knowing what you know now would you have still gone Absolutely. Like for me, it was exactly the thing that I needed to do and needed to hear from my doctor. He knew me. He's been my family doctor for ages. um, And, you know, he's seen what I've done competitively and could also see how, you know, a diagnosis of type one can, you know, change your life in many ways. And so for him to say, you got to do what you want to do and you will figure this out um, as you go, doesn't have to hold you back, was the, they were the best words that I could, you know, ever ask to hear without even knowing that's what I needed to hear. Um, because that just kind of gave me a little bit of confidence to go and do what I actually wanted to do, which yeah. was go to Europe and go race so, and do what I love and be jo- on water. Joking around aside, I think that's amazing. I, I'm a big proponent on the podcast of giving people, um, giving people what they need as far as tools up front so they can make good decisions. I don't like the idea of slow walking people into the information, let them learn it slowly because eventually, inevitably, excuse me, something happens, then you need some information. You don't have it. Then the fear starts building up. And then then before you know it, you're kind of overwhelmed by the fear. And then even when you get good information, it's hard to take it. So I think that's really amazing. I mean, for me, my life didn't really stop when I got diagnosed with type one diabetes. Um, my life was up and running and it was just going to be something that I, you know, have to figure out and continue. You know, I'm sure today there's going to be something that I'm going to learn from it. Well, Fiona, I'm going to say something. I'm going to say something I told Kate Hall. Um, and, and I'm, I think it applies to you as well. And I don't know that all the time that people who have that competitive athletic nature, like you do understand that it doesn't exist in everybody else. But, you know, I use, I always use Chris Freeman as my example, like Chris, sees like snow and these two tiny skis and thinks to himself, Oh, I will ski a long distance with only these two poles to propel me. And <laughs> and you and you look at water and a small board and think, you know what I should do? Go on a thirteen mile race on that water standing on this board. <laughs> There's uh, what I'm saying is and it's probably not like life threatening, but you have a mental illness and you don't realize it. It's <laughs> and but 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 seriously but seriously I won't deny it. Seriously, it's a way of thinking that lends itself to the challenge of diabetes. Like, do you know right. what I mean? Like, right? You're just, you look at the diabetes and you're like, well, I've got, I've got these needles and this insulin. I, how do I get to the other side? And, and that's, yeah. and that's really cool. It's amazing. And it's why you're a great role model for it too. So tell me when, so now, nowadays you're a Dexcom user, you're using the G6. Mm-hmm. And when did that start? Awesome. When did you get your CGM? I got my CGM about eight months after I was diagnosed. Um, and it was the Dexcom four at the beginning. And when that thing came out, I was like, Oh my gosh, this thing is the coolest thing ever. Like, are you kidding me? I don't have to prick my fingers and I actually know what my blood sugar is. Um, yeah. And pretty much I have not, not worn a Dexcom since then. 
Um, so yeah, about four years. Yeah, my daughter I've been wearing my, Dexcom. And, my daughter's a daily wearer too. Like we, she doesn't take breaks from her stuff like that. No, it's a, it's a it's no a, for me. It's just it's a safety thing, you know. Um, just being able to constantly monitor and know where my blood sugar is uh, helps me in everything. I mean, it sucks, you know, if you go super high or if you're going really low. It affects everything else you're trying to do during the day. So yeah, just to be able to have a monitor on it and you know catch crashes or catch highs, um, you know, before they get to the point where you know, you get tired or you get exhausted or you have to take time, you know, out of your day to manage your diabetes rather than focusing on what you're doing. Um, if, you know, things like that can be monitored better and alleviated, then there, I don't see any reason why I wouldn't wear one. Yeah, I agree. I have, to, so I want to, I want to use up the rest of our, not use up, but I want to use the rest of our time to talk about your management because you were in such yeah. a significantly, um, different situation than most people as far as like the intensity and the load and the work on your body. Right. And so everyone, yeah. everyone listening, uh, you know, is, well, the people listen to this podcast probably don't think of it the same way, but a lot of people with diabetes would think I can't paddleboard because I'll exert myself and then my blood sugar is going to drop and I'm going to, you know, it's going to be up and down. I can't possibly do it. So my expectation yeah. is, and I don't know this before I ask you, that you don't have a lot of variability in your blood sugar. I'm assuming you're not going from 40 to 600 and jumping around like that. No, I'm um, not 40 to 600, right, right. but you know, I could have a 80 to 200, um, you know, occasionally a 250 or something like that. Sure. Um, I think the, you know, before we go into specifics of what I do on the water mm -hmm. for me, exercise helps in every way. <laughs> um, you know, even if I am high and, you know, I've just been giving myself insulin and haven't been able to go down or whatever. If, even if I just go for a walk around the block or like 10 minute, you know, cruisy jog or something like that, um, I will be able to drop my insulin and it just makes it feel, or my blood sugar. And it just makes me feel better. But for being on the water, um, I've been using, uh, the InPen from Companion Medical yep. for the last year, just about. And that has helped me a ton um, because you can actually see how much insulin is still in your system and you can remember <laughs> what, how much was in your last dose and when your last dose was. Because sometimes, you know, if you're, you know, running around and, okay, it's time for dinner and you give yourself insulin and you keep, you know, you're cooking the rest of it. And I'm like, oh my God, did I give myself insulin? <laughs> so InPen has really helped me because I, um, you know, can see how much insulin is in my system. And that also helps me plan for going out on the water. So if I, okay, if I have extra insulin in my system before I hit the water, maybe I should eat a little bit of something before I go out and paddle. Yeah. So but when... Go ahead, I'm yeah. sorry. No, I, I apologize. Go ahead. No, no worries. So when I'm on the water, I... Um, this is for racing or, you know, even just for going running or, you know, anything like that. I pretty much always wear a hydration pack, um, which has water in it because, uh, you know, it's just good to stay hydrated out there. And it has a couple pockets as well. So my in-pen can go in the back. I, I take it with me just, you know, in case for whatever. I have one pocket that has my phone and the other pocket that has some type of sugar. Like um, I use a lot of time like Cliff Bar Goo Chomps because um, they're individual squares, and I know how many carbs are in each square and how much each square will raise the amount of, um, will raise my blood sugar. Okay. That being said, when I'm paddling, yeah, my blood sugar typically does drop, so I try and aim to get my blood sugar up, you know, around 180, 165, somewhere in there, um, before I get out in the water. 
And then I'm monitoring it pretty much during the whole paddle. I have an Apple Watch, so I can see my blood sugar there. And, um, you know, just keeping an eye on where things are. I have sugar if I need it. But at the same time, you know, I'm focusing on the paddle. Um, I put some electrolytes in my hydration pack so I can stay more hydrated Mm -hmm. and keep everything kind of, you know, flowing a little better. It's amazing. But it's pretty much those three things. Having water, having my goo chomp there, and having my phone connecting my Dexcom so while I'm on the water, I can actually see what I'm doing. And if I need to eat, uh, I figured out a system where I just open the little pocket before I even start a race. And if I have to eat during a race, it's just like a one-second motion of grabbing a goo chomp and eating it and then continuing to paddle. I'm dying to know, have you ever had to pull out your in-pen and give yourself insulin while you're on the board? I have not um, had to do that during a race, but a lot of times after a race, I find that even if I was going down during, um, after the race, I'll end up spiking, you know, whether it's excitement because I've won or just because I was going through a lot of the carbs that were in my system and now I've stopped and I'm stationary and all those carbs are now sitting there and I start going back up. So I keep it with me because sometimes you finish a race and your, you know, your bag or whatever is a little ways away. And so then, yes, then I have given myself insulin on my board at the finish line to, you know, prepare for that spike that I know is going to be coming after yeah. a race. You would, I think you would really enjoy um, a, a couple of episodes that I've done with a, a CD named Jenny who comes on the show a lot. And we, we did a lot about exercise and that kind of stuff. Cool. And taught you, I think I'll, I'll give it to you personally afterwards. And I think that'd be great. Uh, thank, thank you. you. Like, yeah, please. So, so, okay. So, okay. That's crazy. First of all, what you just said, all of it is just absolutely <laughs> cool. Um, but so, so the impen keeps track of when you've used your insulin, which is helpful. It also keeps track of insulin on board, right? So like it, yeah. it's telling you, so I, I'm assuming you're just a person who didn't want an insulin pump. Is that right? You just weren't looking for an insulin pump. I like the fact that with the in-pen, I can always have insulin with me and I'd have to travel with extra cartridges. So for the ease of that, um, I'm not a big fan of having multiple um devices on me just because I typically have wetsuits or, you know, like hydration packs that are kind of scooching around, um, my midsection and then up on my back and all that. For me, this is the system that I've come up with that works for me. Um, you know, it doesn't mean that I, you know, don't try an Omnipod every now and again to try and, okay, you know, let's see if this helps me study out just to try the different things that are out there. But for right now, this is the system that I like that's working with me that I've figured out how to manage with my training and sports and all that. And, um, for that, yeah, <laughs> for that, I just, it works. Uh, it's excellent. No, it's amazing. So uh, obviously everyone's their own person. And, Absolutely. and you're saying to yourself, look, this is a, a, a fear for me. If I lose my infusion set from a pump, I'm really afraid now all of a sudden there's no slow acting insulin happening and I don't, right. I don't want that fear. And so what's the next best thing? And I think we're, a lot of people are just like, well, I'll just inject and I'll, you know, I'll do this. That's fine. You actually found a piece of equipment that helps you even more. And, and yeah. that's spectacular. That was the only thing that I was bummed about is it's like, okay, you know, with the, Human log quick bends, like, great, it's easy. 
but I don't have any of the data that I would have from a pump. And I mean, diabetes is so much about numbers and changing and trying to adjust to all these different things. And so when I found InPen that was like, okay, well, this is a pen that I can just inject. It's simple, but it has all the data of a pump. I was like, mind blown. Yeah. <laughs> this is a, this is a win-win. Like where, where can I get this thing? <laughs> so do you actually whip out like your InPen app and look at your data and make decisions about your next race and things like that? Oh, all the time. Yeah. It sits right next to my, uh, Dexcom, um, app on my home screen. And I just kind of flip back and forth between the two. I'm like, okay, this is how much insulin I have on board right now. This is where my blood sugar is. This is the activity I want to go do, or maybe this is the homework that I have to do. Um, you know, so I'm going to be sitting here for the next, you know, four hours and I'm not going to be doing exercise. How do I plan all those things? Yeah. And that is where the in-pen has really helped me take all of that into consideration. Like, so I'm trying to imagine you're getting ready to go on a, you know, a race and your blood sugar is lower than you want it to be. You then, mm-hmm. then you check the in app. It tells you how much insulin you have on board. Do you ever then just say, Oh, I'm going to take a little bit of this, these carbs right now, because I think I'm going to fall no matter what. Like, absolutely. You have those moments. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Like if I am, you know, below, um, a certain number, or even if I am dropping mm-hmm. and say, I say I'm at like, you know, 165, but I'm dropping and kind of quickly, you know, I'd love to start a race at 165, right. but if I'm dropping, then I'm not going to be at 165 for very long. Mm-hmm. So I will definitely eat, um, a bit, not, you know, if the race is in an hour, I won't eat that much. If the race is in five minutes and I'm paddling out to the start line and my Dexcom shows an arrow starting to go down, that's when I start, okay, it's time to munch. Right. Uh, it's time to have some food because the worst thing is going into a race with arrows going down. Yeah. And I'm, ass- uh, so I'm assuming too, you can see, you look on the Dexcom and say, Hey, look, I'm going down, but not only do I know I'm going down, but this impen is telling me I still have two units left in me. Right. So yeah. I have to. I have, I have to feed that insulin right now before I get on this board because I'm going to have, exactly. the, yeah, I'm going to have like the, you know, the, the impact from the paddling and the impact from the insulin that's left over. And if you had a regular pen or needles, you would not know how much is left over. You would just think, Oh, maybe this is the end of the bolus or whatever. And you wouldn't right. have that same information. Yeah. I, you know, I always say to people that the difference between pumping and, and injecting is just, you know, with injecting, you lose the ability to manipulate your basal insulin. And that's, that's sort of it. But the truth is, if you have an in-pen, that's not sort of it. You don't, there's a lot more you get with in-pen than you wouldn't get with a regular pen. If your insulin gets too warm in the pen, does the pen tell you? Yeah, it does, which for me is awesome because I have uh, have a lot of races in Asia and, you know, there it's super hot and humid and that's difficult. You know, it tells you if your pen is too warm or too cold. So for the people listening... I think we now need to know your dog's name. So sorry. No, no, don't be sorry. Don't be. Don't be sorry. Just let, I want to know. I want to know what her name is, so people can. Her name is Sharky. Sharky, because I have to tell you, you have used a word twice while we've been talking that I thought I wish I was cool enough to say cruisy, but I'm not. <laughs> and you've said it twice now, and twice I've thought that is such an amazing word, and I don't know how to spell it, and I'm fascinated by your use of it. It's so perfect. I, I, huh. I, I I'm just like, oh. Cruzy should be someone's nickname. You, that you know, would be a good one. Should... Sharky's not so much of a cruiser, but okay. she. <laughs> well, Fiona, can I say something here? And I only want two percent if this works out. But I think you should start your own like wet gear line called Cruzy. 
Cruzy. Cruzy okay. by Cruzy by Wild. I'm telling cruzy you right now, wild. or Wild Cruzy, or so. There's something in there. Um, <laughs> I think it's a it's it's fascinating. Anyway, and your oh, your, your dog sounds like a wolf. By the way, is it a giant animal? She's actually quite uh, medium sized. Oh, okay. She's a little husky mix. <laughs> but so you weren't too far off with that one. But she's she was, only about forty pounds. I thought she was chasing a bear away from your log cabin or something like that. What it felt like. To yeah. Me, but. I mean, I'm in Oregon. I'm not that far out in the woods. <laughs> you know what? Right now, people on the East Coast are like, how come he makes fun of places like Maine, but he hasn't made fun of Oregon yet? And the truth is, <laughs> I don't know because I've thought of it a couple of times, but I just haven't done it. So there's something about Oregon. Well, apparently, now you can I make like. fun of. No, no, I like it. I like <laughs> I, Oregon seems like a place I would want to be. So um, it's definitely a place I like to be. So tell me a little bit about using InPen while you're traveling, like airplanes, hotels, that kind of stuff. The nice thing is, you know, traveling with time zones and all that stuff is really difficult with, you know, diabetes and insulin management because. You know, especially if you are going to be doing, um, you know, you're giving yourself long-acting insulin in addition to, you know, your short-term insulin for meals, um, that gets a little bit tricky. Okay. Being able to keep track. I mean, my favorite thing about the InPen is probably its most simplest function of just being able to see how much insulin is on board and being able to have a device that helps me calculate. Sorry about the dog. Don't be sorry. Um, <laughs> don't be sorry. Uh, people miss. People actually miss my dog on the podcast. I moved to a different part of the house to set up a more um, permanent place to do the podcast from, and because of that, our dog Basil does not snort and and snore in the background anymore. And I get notes sometimes like I miss Basil, and I was like, yeah, I, I don't, because all I would do is sit there listening and think, God, the dog's so loud, it would make me nervous the whole time. <laughs> I'd like to understand what the circle of life is there between the pen and the Dexcom and the app. Like, so if you want to take care of him first, Sharky first, and don't feel, don't feel any pressure to start talking. It's, like um, we had the doorbell go off. Uh, so it's an exciting morning over here. How can there be visitors? So you don't live in the middle of like, like, I don't live in the middle of the wood. I actually, right. I have a bunch of neighbors that live all around me. People. All right. See, so you were like the doorbell. I'm like, oh my God, the doorbell. That was probably Sasquatch. She's going to be dead in a second. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And if it's okay, if you don't mind giving me one minute, go. I can just put you on mute and come go. right back. Go do what you got to do. I'll cool. be here. Hello. Hey, she's back. How are you? We are back. <laughs> I'm sorry about the introduction. Please, please don't be sorry. You sound terrific. Explain to me how InPen integrates with the Dexcom CGM and the app on your phone. The two apps are separated. They're next to each other on my phone. But the companion medical app that shows me all of my InPen data, mm -hmm. um, that app has also my Dexcom data on it. So it helps, um, like, basically when I give myself insulin, that will come into, you know, show up as a little dot on my screen. And on top of that, it'll also show me my Dexcom data as well. So I, now I can see like, okay, I just gave myself three units at 130. And then as the information goes across the screen, that dot of my Dexcom, okay, where my you know current blood sugar was when I gave myself that insulin also moves with it. So then you can have an idea of like, okay, how much insulin you gave yourself at what time and, you know, okay, did I give myself the right amount of insulin or did I give myself the wrong amount of insulin? Does, does the impen have a dose calculator? 
Yes. <laughs> I use it all the time. <laughs> yeah. So does that, so it, so your, your in-pen app has information from your Dexcom on it. So you open up your in-pen app, it knows what your blood sugar is because of your Dexcom. Do you then just tell it, this is how many carbs I'm thinking of having, and it tells you, it suggests an amount of insulin? Yeah. So I've set prerequisites of, okay, you know, this is my carb ratio and this is what I'm planning on doing. Um, and it'll, yeah, you pretty much put in, you know, how many carbs that you want to do and want to eat. And then you give yourself, okay, you know, it's suggesting this amount of insulin and you're like, all right, I think that's about right. Or, you know what, maybe I'm going to have a little bit more food than that. So I'm going to give myself a little bit more. Um, but it's nice because you can, you know, you can think of, okay, what, what do I want to eat? Um, you know, how many carbs are in it roughly? And then it's nice because I would normally just be like, okay, that for me, that's this amount of units. Whereas using that, it definitely gives me more precise, um, you know, it just gives me a more precise number of like, no, Fiona, you actually need more insulin than that. You're going to go high. And so that's been a, that helps me kind of alleviate a lot more of the like big swings of up and down. That's excellent. Um, but yeah, that's one of the major things that's missing when you're injecting. Right. Yeah. That whole piece of it. Plus now, so now the Impen app knows how much insulin's on board. So in the similar situ in the same situation, except say you've had a, I don't know, say you had a snack at eleven o'clock and you gave yourself some insulin. Now it's just an hour and a half later, and you're going to have a meal. Mm -hmm. When you put in your, you know, I'm going to eat forty carbs. It takes into account the insulin still left from the snack, and it give it, it gives you a different dose if if that insulin's still active. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And and how valuable do you find that? information well for me it's huge because you know a lot of times i you know it's easy to just look at a meal and be like okay that's i know how many carbs are in here mm -hmm. and that's how much insulin i'm gonna eat but it's harder when it's like okay i already gave myself some insulin for food a little while ago and i don't necessarily know how much um you know, insulin is left or how much has been absorbed. And so then you end up stacking insulin. And for me, um, well, for anybody really, I think stacking insulin is one of the things you want to try and avoid the most. Yeah. No, you do not want to have more insulin than you need in your body. That's for certain. No. <laughs> have you had any experiences with the in-pen app telling you, hey, your insulin's getting too hot or too cold? I haven't had it where it's too cold. Um, a lot of the times I'm traveling to warmer places, which is kind of nice. Um, but I definitely have it where it's been like, Hey, you have an alert. You, uh, definitely need to, you know, cool your insulin down or pretty much like, Hey, your insulin's too hot, you know, replace it. That's, that's excellent. And that's probably incredibly handy for people who are traveling or, I mean, your sport thing is so like different than most people's, but in a similar vein, people go to the beach all the time with their insulin. Pad. Yeah. And so if you think, you know, maybe I guess it's just so simple that you're like, Oh, I'll put it here in this bag and it'll be okay. And then it ends up not being, you would never know that. And this thing just sends an alert to your phone. It's like, hey, the pen's too warm and you move it somewhere cooler. Yeah. That's crazy. And, you know, the, the great thing about that, too, is it'll it'll give you reminders of like, hey, you've used your pen for 28 days. It's time to replace it. You know, even if you still have insulin remaining, um, stuff like that. You know, I used to write in Sharpies on my pens like, OK, I need to, you know, Good go day. ahead and <laughs> yeah, I can only use it you know, until the 21st or whatever. And then I'd have to toss it out. But now it was all, you know, reminded I don't have Sharpie marks all over my pens. <laughs> How does that work? When you pop in a new cartridge, does it reset on its own? Or do you have to tell it like I put a new cartridge in? 
Nope. When you put a new cartridge in, it pretty much knows that you put a new cartridge. You have to you have to say that you're putting a new cartridge in, mm-hmm. um, just like kind of how you would with a Dexcom, where you're like, okay, I'm you know firing a new Dexcom. Um, you don't have to take a picture of it or anything like that, like right. you would with the G6. But um, you do have to just you know put a new cartridge in, and you have to prime it a couple times, um, just so you know that okay, your needle isn't blocked or anything like that. Yeah. And then it starts recording and you're so, good to go. That's amazing. What, um, do you use the information you said earlier in the interview that you use the information to make decisions about like what to do next and stuff like that from the impact app. But does the app also lend itself to you talking to your endocrinologist with the information? Oh my goodness. Yes. That is, um, the best part actually, because I, it prints out massive charts like I can print out like four page charts from months and months and months of data um, of using the in pen. Pretty much as long as you're using the in pen, you can print out a chart that shows your okay average time and range, um, the average insulin that you're giving yourself, the most amount of insulin you're giving yourself, what to expect in terms of like targets and all that stuff. And it has helped my endocrinologist and I a lot trying to figure out, okay, um, Hey, look, you look, you have this pattern here. Let's try and figure out how to solve this pattern. That helps me alleviate some of the highs and the lows. So you and the doctor find the, the charts and the graphs that the impen app gives you like relatable and easy to understand. It's not, yeah, I, super, they're all yeah. color coordinated and all that, which is really nice. <laughs> I like pretty colors. You know yeah, what? Me too. Colors are cruisy. See, it doesn't colors work. are definitely cruisy. Is there anything about the impen that I haven't asked you that you really think, wow, this is what people should know about it. They also give you your long acting reminders. So, um, I take Lantis, so it'll give me a, reminder of like, Hey, you need to take your Lantus. And then you can record that in the pen or sorry, in the app as well. So it says, okay, I just gave myself X amount of units of Lantus. Like it's all recorded in there. And that's good too. Cause that kind of goes back to my thing of, Oh, oops. Yeah. I forgot to, you know, give myself this or give myself that. And it basically, cause with pens, it is kind of easy to forget, or it's easy to just like give yourself insulin and then walk away from it. Um, because you don't have something attached to your body for the constant reminder. So mm-hmm. you, in a way, like, I definitely feel a bit more free, which is really nice. But it's easier to skip some things, too. Wow. And that's where the in-pen makes sure that you don't skip steps that, you know, maybe are easy to forget. It helps you plan for the steps that you didn't forget. And then it helps you plan for the future as well, which is good. Hey, everybody can use somebody on their side to go, hey, don't forget to take your uh, insulin right now. Or, you know, this is happening. Like, it's... Diabetes is a lot to remember. And I think that there's it, so many moving parts. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so if there's an app that's, you know, listen, it's it's really kind of fascinating when you stop and think about it. like you're young, so you think the whole world works like this. But for most of us, an insulin pen that attaches to my an app on my cell phone that's talking to my continuous glucose monitor that's reading the interstitial fluid and telling me what my blood sugar is <laughs> and how fast it's going, and then tells me, hey, you know, I know you probably think that this lunch is four units, but you forgot that you gave yourself insulin an hour and a half ago. So we're just going to do three and a half instead. That's a lot of cool all in one place. Yeah. It, it That's really, more than cruisy. Yeah. no, That's just like super cool. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's, it's really, it's mind blowing. And I'll tell you right now for people who've had diabetes for 10 years, um, they're like, wow, that's really great. People who've had it for 20 years are just blown away by this idea. Just, yeah. This is this is an entirely different world for them. And, it, you know, it's just, it's very cool that you came on and talked about it. I really appreciate it. 
Well, Fiona is just another in a long line of people living with type 1 diabetes doing what seems like amazing things to me. Um, I'm sure those of you who have ever surfed or stood up on a paddleboard are like, Scott, it's not that amazing. Uh, but first of all, she's competing at a very high level at this. You're just doing it for fun on vacation. And B, I uh, don't want to do that. So it all seems very scary to me when people are like, I got up on a big wave and came flying down to the earth. Mm, no, I don't want that. But I love that she likes it. And I love how well she does with her diabetes while she's competing. I hope you enjoyed listening to Fiona. And I hope you enjoyed these last number of episodes over, I think, the last three months on Fridays that have been sponsored by Companion Medical. I want to thank them very much for their support of the Juice Box podcast and say that I think they'll be back in 2020. You can check Fiona out at FionaWild.com. She's also got a really great Instagram account because she's doing like cool stuff on it. So let me see if I can find it for you real quick. It's just Fiona underscore wild. And she's always standing on something that looks like it shouldn't really float or laying on something that looks like it shouldn't float or standing and laying where she's got it. Anyway, she's just always balancing on something in the water, which is really cool. You should check her out. And if you're thinking of taking a pump break or you're using MDI right now, you really need to take a moment to check out the InPen. Not only does it do amazing things and give you a lot of the functionality that a pump can give you, but the cost of it will surprise you. So check out the InPen. Go to companionmedical.com right now. There are links in your show notes and at juiceboxpodcast.com if you can't remember companionmedical.com. But I feel like you can. The Juicebox Podcast is super cruisy. Thanks for having me on the show today. The first person to leave a review of the podcast that indicates that the show is super cruisy gets a shout out on the show. Just make the review somewhere. Send me a link to it so I can see it. I just want to see it in print somewhere. Make sure you spell cruisy correctly.